0: When you're building a startup, figure out the core thing that's going to make your product and business a success. And it's almost certainly building a product
1: that users want. Everything else is noise. This is The Summit by Fields Adventures. I'm David Neumes, and every week, my co founder Dominic McGregor and I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Thanks for watching today. This is the summit uh, by Philos Ventures. We're here to interview amazing founders and, and co-founders of, of businesses and tech businesses around the UK. Today we're here with Anthony Rose, the co-founder of Seed Legals, disrupting the way that all founders uh, fundraise. Thanks, Anthony. Great to have you here today. Hello. Thank you. Delighted to be here. What a story! You've come from building BBC iPlayer now to running, you know, a huge tech business in the fundraising space. Talk to us about iPlayer. I mean, that was like a disruptive concept at the time, mm, right? That
0: was the broadcaster looking to sort of disrupt itself mm. uh, by taking the programs that it made you watch on telly <laughs> at night at the time it wanted and to make it on any device that you wanted. And actually, that was my second foray into oh. media disruption. Previously, I was with Kazar, which was P2P, music, music, and really disrupting the music industry. And then it was the video, and I guess now it's legals. But I think just uh, going back to iPlayer days, I think what was fascinating is the BBC was really a leader in recognising the change in consumption. However, what they didn't do is follow on with different types of programming. And I think this is a problem with all broadcasters. They went, great, we'll make the switch from you have to watch it on telly when we tell you to, too, you can watch it on any device, but they still make the same programs. There's a 30-minute <laughs> program made months before that you have to watch with no interactivity. And the broadcasters really despised the streaming networks, cats on skateboards, low-quality video, but, but that's the thing that ultimately will kill them. And I think, to me, there's a lesson, which is for any company, my own included, is you start off with some disruptive play, and if you don't continue
1: to innovate, then you're dead in the future. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, we've all read books about corporates trying to innovate and disrupt themselves. Yep. What was it like in an organization trying to disrupt itself? I mean, you, how did that work? Was there days where you thought people were just fighting against you every day? How did that feel? Right. So it was quite
0: fascinating because within any organization, there are often many factions. And mm. some of them see look to the future and some look to preserve the past. And at the BBC, they had a vibrant digital uh, media uh, team that looked to the future, but channels represented the past. And when I arrived, I discovered the BBC didn't want an iPlayer. The BBC wanted five iPlayers a BBC <laughs> One iPlayer and a BBC Two. And so that needed to be sorted. So, but everyone got on board. And then I think one of the interesting things, of course, success breeds, you know, followers, so to speak. <laughs> and so as soon as it had traction and
1: success, then everyone went, okay, let's cut the noise and let's go with the program. Oh, wow. Um, um, so if you could think for that time, what was, was apart from having some success before then, what kept you sane in a world of, you know, people trying to sort of hold you back? Fascinating question. So when I joined the BBC, I was living in Australia at the yeah. time,
0: and one day they called and went, how would you like to join the BBC? <laughs> and I went, that's interesting. Where are the, where, <laughs> where the stock options. And uh, But I was persuaded <laughs> to move over to sunny London. And uh, I'd heard famous stories about, you know, inaction at the BBC and governance and stakeholder meetings and so on. But actually, when I thought about it, in a startup, I realized that perhaps 75% of my time was doing delightful, good stuff, product, team, developing new things probably 20% was the cost of doing business. So you have to do fundraising and investor reporting and all this stuff. It's not good or bad, but it's the cost of doing business. And 5% is like unpleasant HR stuff you have to deal with occasionally and so on. And at the BBC... Actually, the, the formula was about the same, but the 20%, instead of having to go fundraising, it was swapped for stakeholder governance. You, you had guaranteed funding, but you had to spend time communicating and getting people on board. So actually, I looked at it as almost running a startup within a big organization,
1: and that turned out to work actually really well. That's fantastic. I think it's you know, very few examples of that working well, so you know, congratulations for, uh, for bringing that. And yeah, what a I, I think BBC was the first... Was it the first streaming service? Really, that was. It was I, I think
0: Channel Four had, uh, oh, okay. and others got
1: there about the same time. Okay. Uh, the BBC one was, of course, much better. <laughs> Obviously, fast forward now. You're founder of Seed Legals, which is completely disrupting the way you fundraise, you go through that legal process. I mean, that is a huge pain point they are trying to solve. Big. You know, most lawyers that I've spoken to about disrupting the legal sector tell me it's not possible. Right, uh, you know, every deal is unique and bespoke. Exactly. How did you? Why did you even think about that place where you wanted to spend your time? Sure. Having done music yeah. and then video, yeah. legal would not be the next yeah. thing you'd think of. <laughs> but after I left the Beeb, I
0: built, I built a startup, sold it, built a startup, sold it, invest wow. in a few, got tired of paying lawyers, and then at a very nice party, met my co-founder Laurent Laffie, a genius ex serial angel investor, and he was moaning about the uh, time and complexity of doing legal yeah. uh, funding rounds. And so when we started Seed Legals, my perception was our product would be legal documents. But what I realized very quickly, and that's the key difference between Seed Legals and a law firm, is if you go to a law firm, they'll, the product is legal documents. When you go to Seed Legals, the product is a solution for what you want. And the solution actually is data. It's what's market standard. It's 24 7 really online website and service. It's uh, people you can talk to in seconds that will respond. Humans <laughs> in London. Um, you can get on a video call that is no incremental cost per minute. And uh, by the way, legal documents as well. (laughs) So really what I realized is nobody gets out of bed in the morning going, I'm looking for a contract. They get out of bed going, I need to hire somebody, I need to get investment. And the package of things necessary for that happens to include the legal documents, but it's actually much
1: bigger than that. Fantastic. And so how did you go about, so you're going to say, okay, I need to solve this pain point for founders. Who was the first person you called? It's interesting because when you
0: build any new business, there are a few key things you have to solve. And Mm. and one of these is is the key break or make thing on your business. So the first thing is usually, can you technically build it? Can you raise investment? Can you build a team? Mm. And ultimately, you realize, do people really want it? And I knew from my history and from uh, my co-founder, we could get funding. I could build a team. I figured I could wing it and build it. Um, and I'd spoken to enough founders to know that they probably would want it. But what I didn't know, and this was the big uh, gotcha, is would investors want it? Maybe I'd build this cool system and founders go, we love it. And the investors go, no, 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 you have to go to a law firm. Yeah. And so that was the leap of faith. The other thing is when you, you know, in startup land, you're always talking about building a minimum viable product. But I couldn't go, here's your minimum viable legals. These will probably (laughs) hang together. You'll probably be okay. But what you could do is you could do the fake it till you make it, which is behind the scenes, you do things manually. So you build the website, people enter the deal terms. Behind the scenes, there was a legal team going, oh, my God, quickly do this in a Word doc. And (laughs) and, and, and then they'd go, you're killing us. Please automate it. So... So that's how you got past that sort of uh, learning point. Yeah. So I guess, you know, like all startups, you have enough optimism and blind faith that it'll work. But you want to validate that sooner rather than later.
1: I I assume the idea is that both sides of the transaction operate within the C-Legals ecosystem. So you kind of got like, you got to convince two parties to participate. How easy or difficult was that? Right. So that
0: was, again, one of the key things. What if one side would love it and the other side would go, no, no, we don't like it. So what I realized, and and I didn't realize this at the beginning, well, I sort of, did But it, it was clear in spades that that was the case, which is normally when you negotiate a, a legal contract, you send somebody a Word document, and there the other parties incentivize to change words. And changing any word is as good as changing any other word. So you just get this redlined mass of things, and because it's all legals, you have to go to a lawyer, and both parties go to lawyers. But imagine you could transform it, and you, instead of the document being the thing that you edit, you can see a clear set of the key deal terms that you would agree in plain English. So how much are you investing? Are you gonna get dragged along? Do you want a board seat? Will there be investor consent? And so actually the, the magic to it, and I think the same happens in many other spaces, but people don't realize, is you intentionally constrain the debate to a set of key things that you can negotiate. You make it very easy to negotiate those and you make it quite hard to negotiate anything else. And sometimes this works brilliantly, and sometimes it's going to fail. So when we started, we thought, how many things might you want to negotiate in a funding round? If it's like a 1,000, we can cater for anything, but it's completely unusable. Everyone would have to go to a lawyer. If we say there are only three things you can change, that's awesome. It's really easy, and zero funding rounds will ever be able to be done. So we start with a small number, and then as people went, ah, oh, I need this feature, yeah. We would add that, but actually I, I really like, and I think there's a general lesson to be had, which is the class of things we do, and, and it's, it's gonna be generic to whether you're doing driving cars or maps or counting or many other things. When you're looking to create a new solution in an existing industry, people have been doing it a particular way for years, and they normally have been doing it manually, and they would argue that your simplistic system is going to be less good. But in fact, your simplistic system turns out to be much better because by constraining the freedoms, you end up with deals closing and parties reaching agreement much more effectively because you can be guided to what's clear. You
1: can show data and then rounds cl- close fast. And that's the investor advantage as well. Oh, it's really incredible, this idea of limiting the discussion. So really yes. what matters is, yeah, it's and, very interesting. And you might think when you go yeah. to a
0: Chinese restaurant, you know, famously, they've got like Choice. 400 things. <laughs> exactly. And then helpfully, they've got the chef special. Yeah, and after yeah. reading all the things, you go, "Stuff, at this is just too hard. I'll I to read that. the chef special, <laughs> which also happens to be the highest margin, you know, items or the things I have to get rid of for the day, possibly.
1: <laughs> so, yes. So what's the future? Obviously, you've, you've, you know, well on the way to really disrupting, you know, the way yeah. people raise money. What will seed leaders go into other areas of law? How's the vision for the organization? Right.
0: So that's a great question. Actually, just more generically, Mm. for any startup, you've really got uh, an immediate and a later stage problem to solve. So your immediate solution or problem is, can I build something that people want? Because too often, companies build it, and then people don't want it, and then you pivot, and you try to find out what do people want. And if you're lucky and you get it right, then you've got the problem later on, a couple of years later, which is... Do I just keep polishing what I built? Do I take small incremental bets? Or do I go crazy and going, I'm going to launch a crypto exchange in the US (laughs) and and bet everything on it? And and the going crazy only... Is a reasonable strategy if it was a fail from what you've got. Otherwise, you're just betting too much and, and you can break everything. But if you do nothing, then you are sure that you're dead in the long term because others will eat your lunch. As your first point. And was. So, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so the question is, what what should we do? So I look at it quite simply, which is you know echoing uh, Reed Hoffman from uh, LinkedIn, which is first build a utility. And then build a network. Mm. So first, we didn't get ahead of ourselves. There was no mention of blockchain, crypto, (laughs) distributed ledger. No, because 100% of people go, I'm looking to raise a few hundred thousand pounds. What do I need to do? So we just built a utility. But now with 40,000 plus startups on the platform, we do something like one in four of all early stage SEIS. SEIS rounds in the UK. Um, So now what's the next step? Well, firstly, we're now in France, Singapore, uh, Ireland, Hong Mm. Kong, uh, and others to follow. So global. The second thing is we have more products for existing audience. But the big thing we're working on is seed legals for Mm. investors. So everything you saw for founders, they'll now be for investors. So investors... As a company raising money, you can create a pitch page. As an investor, you can have your portfolio and you can follow companies and you'll get in due course DNA matching and then investors can follow other investors. So could this be the first like social network for, oh shit, I've just got ahead of myself. (laughs) But uh, don't tell anybody, but uh, that's coming real soon, actually. It's quite exciting.
1: Well, then you've got a great ecosystem where people can meet each other, as you said, from a social perspective. Exactly. uh, Yeah, really, really incredible. How big is the team today? Talk to us about the organization. So, you have 40,000 UK startups yeah. using the system. What does your team look What's your top team look like? Who- All right. Well, we're a total of about 150 people. Yep.
0: Uh, We've about 10 people in Singapore and Hong Kong, 10 in France, the remainder in the UK. We all work hybrid these days. Yeah. I gently bribe team members <laughs> with two lunches a week to okay. be in the office. <laughs> and probably about 20% of the team are in the office on any given day. But really, since we all exist on Slack, on HubSpot, on Intercom, it yeah. doesn't really matter where you are. Um, in our team, you know, I'm, I'm CEO, I've got my co-founder, Laurent, uh, and we've got a senior team. And of course, one of the key learnings for any founder is how you reinvent yourself as your business grows. And this is actually one of the big personal journeys and challenges. So I'm kind of a tech product guy. I like building stuff and designing products and so on. But if you still want to be the CEO, you have to somewhat reinvent yourself to be more of the people person and do less hands-on and more building the team. You know, it's a a journey, but but, but I think that uh, for anyone, particularly part of the founding team, constantly reinventing yourself is essential to being part of the longer-term journey. And how do you do that? How do you know what you need to reinvent yourself to? Some of it is having an open-door policy, so your team tell you, dude, stop (laughs) micromanaging. (laughs) Don't talk to me. Part of it is, of course, building a great uh, uh, senior leadership team. It's something I learned at uh, actually the BBC yeah. um, and and actually from an investor in a previous startup of mine who took me aside one day and said, you know, Anthony, uh, he's CEO of giant companies. And he said, actually, I know nothing about what our companies do, but I know how to hire great people. Yeah. So if you hire great people, then you should take a step back. It's a small challenge. I'm still want to (laughs) be hands-on and create the company and set the company culture, tone of voice, and so on.
1: It's hard to change, but I think it's an essential going forward. And so Seedleads, obviously you've been very successful. You've sold a few of your businesses before then. So Seedleads is almost like your third startup in a way. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you have lots of people who are willing to invest in you because you're a proven entrepreneur and you know how to build great business and exit them. Was the ability for you to easily raise money kind of attract probably whoever you wanted to join the team because you, you know, you're proven. Was that net negative or net positive to where you've got to today in terms of sometimes if you have too much availability resources, yep. that can also, you can get too far ahead of yourself, for example. Right.
0: So, so that is a great question. And I think one of the key things that I've made a mistake on in the past is spend too much too soon because mm. you could raise too much. So... I'm, I'm not in any way well-known and famous enough to you know, raise huge amounts, yeah. but certainly after iPlayer, I was able to raise quite a lot of yeah, money. Yeah. And I think your challenge is what happens is there's a mindset of people reading TechCrunch, seeing the enormous amounts raised by usually US companies and occasionally local ones, and believing that raising and spending is the answer but actually it's not. And although I'm the seed legals guy and our business is to help you fundraise, if you think about fundraising, is the failure to not have to fundraise. Mm. So you raise money because you need capital faster than the business would grow organically. But the problem is this puts you on a treadmill and the treadmill is the number of months runway <laughs> you've got left. And if you don't have revenue or you've got less revenue than you're spending, you have to keep running to get more investment. And when times are good, It's great, and I would be envious of companies raising 20 million or more, and then things go bad. And then you see, you know, mass layoffs and uh, companies going out of business, and, you know, it's not the end of it by any means today. It was largely the discipline of my co-founder about getting to cash flow break-even, And sitting there, we founded and funded the business ourselves and put our own money into it. And when yeah. you do that, you know, at some point, your uh, spouse is going to notice you spending quite a lot <laughs> each month. So you want to look to grow organically. And, yeah. and we had that discipline from the beginning. And, of course, fortunate to be in a SaaS revenue-generating business as yeah. opposed to medtech where you have to spend for five years before get, exactly. getting approval. But if you can, you're much better off trying to get to a small uh, burn rates, yep. but get a path to profitability. And the mood music has changed from VCs enormously over the past you know, two quarters from our lead investor who would gently tease us each board meetings like, guys, you really need to spend more. This obsession <laughs> with getting to roughly cash flow break even is crazy. Spend more. Why did we give you money? Through to a couple of board meetings go at the beginning of 2022. It's fantastic. You guys are close to cash flow <laughs> break-even. Some of our portfolio are burning 10 million a month. Yeah. It's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah. So, um, so that is a good uh, discipline. And, and I quite like it, which is you watch the numbers each month. You go, what can we do to build the team but without going crazy? On the flip side, you still are slightly envious when people raise huge <laughs> amounts
1: and just grow like crazy. So, I mean, that leads me on. You know, we have this big debate a lot around founders starting businesses in the U.K., um, versus the U.S. Yes. So, obviously, you've got a massive, you know, differential in terms of the, uh, the, the addressable market and there's very different ability to hire, the ability to fundraise, the ability to kind of really scale rather than sell out early. Yep. How have you thought about that? And if you had your time again, would you do it all in the U.S.? It's a challenging uh, problem because, again, you look at the
0: fundraisers in the U.S. and it's like a zero at the end. At it's 10x. It's, it's un- un- a <laughs> more. It's unbelievable. And it's a huge market. And I look at others in our space and their market caps are greatly higher and so on. On the other hand, I rather like living in London. You know, it was a 15-minute run, whereas it would be an hour driving on 101 in some appalling traffic jam or something in, in the valley. So uh, the U.K. is great. Every time I think of moving to the U.S., they have some idiot president and then the whole thing's (laughs) called off. Um, But uh, I think Octopus Ventures has got some very nice advice, which is if you want to be in the U.S., go early or go late. And what that means, if it's two founders get on a plane and go and hang out in a garage in the valley somewhere and build your dream, Uh, or wait till you've got your series A or series B, you're making 10, 20 million a year in revenue, and you can fund a US expansion once you have reached product market fit, once you have revenue and your product is mature, then go spend time building a U.S. version. Mm. But the valley to avoid is where you are still chasing product market fit. You don't have enough revenue to support a U.S. operation, and now your team is split into two trying to do other things. You know, the cost salaries are much higher in the U.S. You can easily pay two or three times what you're paying in the U.K. Um, And if you don't understand the market and you don't have somebody there, it's a real challenge. So we are looking at our U.S. product offering at the moment, You know, it's six years into our business. Have we left too late? Is the timing right? I think for me, I'd have loved to get there sooner, but I haven't really understood the market. And finally, I think we have the product pieces now, which will, in the coming months, see us moving, you know, at at least launching a product there. So yeah, be envious, but I think avoid the trap of thinking that you'll be a UK operation and a UK business and be spending your time raising from US investors yeah. because they will be usually expecting you to be having a US business or to be based in the US. It's not as bad as it used to be, but, uh, but maybe my takeaway advice is as follows, which is when you're building a startup, figure out the core thing that's gonna make your product and business a success. And it's almost certainly building a product that users want. Everything else is noise, whether we'll SPAC, whether we'll launch in the US, whether we'll get fundraising, whether we'll offer SEIs, just focus on the core thing and spend as little time as possible. Sometimes you see companies going, should I register incorporate in the BVI? It's like, dude, you can do it on Companies House for 12 (laughs) pounds tonight and you're done and then get back to the core thing. Yeah. So, uh, and to me, often when I see founders spending time on these noisy things on the side, to me, it's an indicator that they... Uh, the chance of success is reduced because right. they're not single-mindedly
1: focused on the thing that's going to really drive adoption and uptake of their product. Amazing. I, mean, I think that focus on the core is absolutely key, right? To, to actually be a master at, at your vision and purpose, I think, is really key. So talk about your own personal journey. We hear about the summit. This is the whole podcast. Do you know where your summit is, first of all? And are you on the way there? Have you been there? What does it look like from your summit? Well, I'd be disappointed if it
0: wasn't still on the way there. <laughs> I think one thing I've realized is, yeah, I mean, iPlayer was, of course, a, a great point, And there was nothing like uh, arriving off the plane from Sydney the day before going into the BBC and Ashley Heifelt, who ran, you know, Future Media and Technology, assembled everyone and went, welcome, Anthony. Uh, he's going to, you know, launch iPlayer and it launches on Christmas Day with a £10 million ad budget in three months. Anthony, over to you. And it's like, oh shit! <laughs> so there's no pressure, and everyone thought we'll, we'll keep away because he's going to be on a plane back to Australia on about Boxing Day. Um, so, so that was definitely like the most frenzied. I've got three months to get this baby in, in, in place and and, and launched. Um, but you know, I think. Uh, you often think back and say, could it be different? Should I have raised money? Should I have sold this business? Should I have not sold the business? But actually, one thing always seems to lead to another. So meeting my co-founder at a party, was in a party held by an investor in the last company after I exited. And if that hadn't happened, we'd never have met. So that, that leads to the next thing, which is you think like, why am I doing legal tech? You know, It's completely different from media, but actually, the things you do—you'd like to think—are scientifically, statistically analyzed. Actually, it's mostly random luck, you know, networking or whatever that leads to the next thing. So you never know what the next thing might be. I'm in mean, no hurry, by the way. I Love, <laughs> love seed legal. so uh, you know, maybe there'll be an exit at some point. We'll see. But uh, the, the, the focus, by the way, I should say, is
1: always to grow
0: your business and
1: not get distracted by exit talks. So, yeah, 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 I completely agree. And you know, for me, when I sold my business, there's always Piece for me that could I be successful in a, a completely different area? Yes. It was like a personal challenge yes. to go. Okay, everyone knows me for being successful in that yeah. particular vertical. You know, is it? it was it a, yeah. a one-time trick? Can I do it again? So you, you know, you do it again, and then can you do it in a completely different space? Right. Uh, f- it was a big driver for me in terms of my own. Kind of yes, and and for ambition. me, my learning, by the way, yeah. is
0: uh, when I was uh, working in Australia, CTO at Brilliant mm. Digital, real-time three D graphics and and peer-to-peer. Uh, music. And I got a certain way of interacting with my team, my personal work-life balance, you know, up late at night and the way I wrote emails and the way I did specs and the way I managed the team. There was a certain pattern. And I didn't know if it was me or them. And then I moved from Sydney to London to the BBC, not startup, you know, public service. Uh, So the, the, the space was different. The team was different. The media space, everything yeah. was different. But cut to six months later, the way I interacted with people was exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was a perfect data experiment to work out what's you and what's yeah. not. And then you look within and you go, you see the good bits and perhaps yeah, the less yeah, yeah. good bits. And you see how can you reinvent the less good bits. But I think, you know, as a, as a serial founder, anyone watching this or listening to this, If you think about what are the signals you can pick up from your interactions with people, either in in previous startups or in previous jobs or at uni, that would be indicators of what are within you. First, what's the surrounding? And then one of the key things is to surround yourself with co-founders and senior team members who complement you. Yeah. Not, not as in saying nice things, but uh, the opposite of you. <laughs> so for me, I'm really the product guy. Yeah. Uh, my, my co-founder, it's ultimately his vision on seed legals. Yeah. Um, and he takes care of the board meetings, the investor stuff, all the bits I'm less passionate about. <laughs> uh, we can both do, uh, you know, the fundraising, yeah. but running a business and the accounting and that, that's him. So splitting things with what you love and what your co-founder loves, and if they're opposites, that, I think, is a good starting point.
1: And did you have co-founders in your previous two businesses? Indeed, yes. And yeah. in fact,
0: the relationship was very much the same as well. Yeah. They were the <laughs> they were the MBA types. Yeah. They'd run a good business, and I was the product guy. The product guy. And, and then I was usually the guy going, yeah, let's spend tons of money. And they were going, whoa, 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 let's run a proper business here. And that
1: was the yin and yang. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah amazing well thank you very much anthony and yeah it was really fascinating to all hear all right your well, story. thank you thanks for watching uh, the summit uh, it's been a great session here with anthony i think thinking your, your advice around kind of focusing on the core and not getting distracted by all the noise that you can do as a founder for me something definitely to take away if you've enjoyed the episode please like it and follow us and uh, let us know your comments in the in the comments box thank you